let's see it's quite obvious that the media helps fuel these divides right because the media is just another part another spoke on the wheel of the capitalist machine um especially you know in in other countries you mentioned uh you, you cited some really really interesting statistics uh regarding african americans and chicanos or, or latinos and um something that that stood out to me in in particular was when um some individuals did surveys uh, they actually found um, that Latinos tended to have more sort of racial animosity towards blacks and or African-Americans than African-Americans did towards the Chicanos and Latinos. And part of that had to do with the, the portrayal of African-Americans in the Mexican media. So, I mean, in your mind, is there anything that we could do here in the United States to stop the media? Like, do you think social media is is helping that or is it hurting it? Um, so what you're referencing is um, research that's been done. It's, it's actually more complicated than that. It's not necessarily that, that Rasa is more biased against um, African-Americans than African-Americans are against Rasa. It's, it's kind of issue by issue. And there's, you know, a lot of inter, uh, uh, you know, details and complexities involved in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I have a whole chapter on that in the book. Um, you know, I, I asked, you know, I kind of went through the whole range of different, um, racial bias tests, um, that I asked, the you know, the people that I interviewed, you know, Southsiders and Crips and Bloods, um, and, you know, in some things they're kind of equally biased and on other things it's one way or the other, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, um, relationship bias is almost entirely, you know, a Rasa thing, like Rasa are, that I interviewed are, you know, are more, were more likely to, um, to be opposed to interracial relationships, oh, whereas wow. African-Americans are, you know, generally accepting of them. There's very few exceptions, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in, in other areas like um, employment competition and housing competition, both Rasa and African-Americans view each other as a threat, you know, pretty much equally. And that's not just you know, the respondents that I interviewed, the, the, the literature, the existing literature, you know, has found that, you know, pretty much across the board. Um, now, maybe for different reasons, mm -hmm. you know, uh, theoretically and, and materially, um, but, um, but there is quite a bit of bias going both directions, Yeah. right? Yeah. Do you think there's anything that can be done um, about these biases? that these different, you know, you mentioned different biases in different areas and different avenues and sort of like on a case by case basis. Is there anything that could be done to limit these biases or to put an end to these biases? I mean, you know, let's go back to what we talked about before, right? Why do these biases exist? Why Nationalism. Do, why do labor populations, first of all, why do they conceptualize themselves as being in separate categories, right? The race concept. Mm. <clears throat> And, and, and why, you know, what, 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 what um, role does that play in the racial capitalist system, right? So as long as capitalism exists, there are going to be these racial, you know, the racial categories are going to exist in order to, to, you know, basically to insulate capitalism from rebellion. And so as long as that system is there, you know, there's always going to be that 
you know, that division and people that, you know, whatever the biases are, whatever, you know, like I go into all these complexities about what the biases are and where they come from and, you know, on a kind of on approximate level, mm -hmm. but we need to look past that, right? We need to look, you know, on a structural historical, you know, level, like why, why do, what, what role is this playing, you know? And, and in my opinion, at least that's how, that's how, um, that's how I had this epiphany is once I, you know, read through all this history and I realized like, damn, this shit is not, you know, we may have grown up thinking that this is like, you know, defines our lives, but that's just a, that was, that's an invention. Like, you know, it's not necessarily the case that we be, that we even think of ourselves as being in separate categories. Right. So that's literally what I'm trying to get people to question. Like, wait a minute, like, are, are we, we're all human beings. Like, you know, why, why are we, why are we enforcing the categories that have been used to oppress us? Right. Why are we embracing the categories that make our oppression possible in the first place? Right. And by, by embracing them, we're mimicking, you know, the, the white supremacist of old, right. Mm. Or, I mean, not that they're gone, <laughs> they're <laughs> no, still, no. you know, there's nothing new, but, but my point is that there's nothing new about white supremacy. You know, there's nothing new about, you know, boneheads marching around with torches and shit like that. <laughs> now they're tiki torches from Home Depot or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. that ain't nothing new about that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, white supremacist terrorism is, you know, as American as apple pie. What's new is that in, in our, you know, era, people of color themselves are acting as the identity police. They're the ones that are embracing these categories and forcing boundaries and divisions between them and, you know, ultimately, you know, have building up these biases that, that ultimately spill into violence. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, they're um the the system of power is was worsened with the privatization of prisons and and you you talk about that um a, a little bit in your book um it's really interesting um the story you mentioned of uh four you know main heads of, of the main factions of different racial groups in, in prison and um how i believe all four main heads eventually found themselves or were locked up in in these um the shoe the security housing unit was essentially isolation and they were if correct me if i'm wrong but they were put there because they were the worst of the worst right so the law enforcement idea is let's these are the main heads so they they're the worst let's put them away and in doing so these leaders found themselves all in prison together and sort of realizing like, Hey, they all did this to us. Is, is that correct? Did I, did I tell that story correctly? Sort of, I mean, no, it's very, um, it's a synopsis. <laughs> it's a synopsis of it, but. Um, so that, that's like the, you know, Hollywood rendition based on a true story. So, you know, basically what you're talking about is, you know, the um, solitary confinement regime, um, which is, you know, pervasive in American penology, right? It's, Solitary confinement is now, you know, for, for generations now, has been the go-to tool of prison administrators to, um, to, to deal with, you know, supposedly problematic, you know, prisoners by isolating them, you know, putting them either in, in complete solitary confinement or, mm -hmm. you know, extreme isolation where they're in, in a room with one other person, you know, and don't really get in contact with anybody else. 
Um, and here in California is, of course, California is the pioneer of so many <laughs> um, penal, uh, you know, practices in this country and around the world, really. Um, and solitary confinement is no different. We were one of the pioneers of solitary confinement, um, um, uh, which had been practiced kind of informally since the 70s. In the 70s, they called them the administrative segregation units. Um, but in the in the late 80s, they built um, a, pr a whole prison, and 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 actually they built one prison exclusively for um, uh, exclusion for extreme you know isolation solitary confinement. Is that and Pelican they, Bay? And they built that's a Pelican Bay State Prison, hmm. and another pr and other prisons were built with units uh, that were intended for solitary confinement. So like another. Um, uh, shoe unit that a lot of people went to was at Corcoran, right? And there's mm -hmm. other smaller ones at different prisons. Um, but <clears throat> basically the, the CDCR's, um, the prison system's policy was to take anybody that um, they believed to be, to have any type of leadership role within any of the different um, racialized gang factions in, in the general population and to isolate them, to put them indefinitely in solitary confinement. And so there's, there are people who have been in solitary confinement, you know, or extreme isolation for decades. There's some people that have been in that condition since the early 70s had not been on a general population yard, right? Had not had, you know, uh, normal contact, you know, free contact with other prisoners. Um, and that went on for, you know, for so long, man, like a lot of these guys, especially these, these old timers, all these OGs and, and veteranos and all this, like, Man, these dudes like most of their natural life has been spent in extreme isolation or complete solitary confinement. It's wow. It's amazing that people survived that, you know, and, and and even more resisted that, you know. Like, there's a lot of people that got broke by that, you know. There's a lot of people we call it, you know, in politics we call it rolling it up, that they rolled it up, which means you know they they rolled up their their uh, um, their mattress and 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 knocked on the window and said, "Get me out of here," you know. I'm ready to. I'm ready to go into protective custody to get out of here. Jesus. And a lot of people, you know, you know, um, ended their, you know, prison careers and their gang careers and their integrity by doing that. Um, but there's a lot of people who never got broke. You know, the state threw everything it could at them and, you know, did everything it could to break them. And, and they, you know, they survived. They didn't just survive, but they resisted. They, you know, they refused to be broken. And these are the men who are the leaders of the different racialized factions, so-called prison gangs in California prisons. Um, and um, things really have changed a lot in the last 10 years um, among the prisoners and, and the policy of solitary confinement itself. Um, within the last, uh, you know, this kind of first started about um, 10, 12 years ago, prisoners started to, these prisoners who had been in extreme isolation for decades, who were ostensibly, you know, mortal enemies, um, but only had, could only communicate with each other, mm -hmm. you know, started to like, you know, after you live next to the same dude for, you know, 20 years or what, 10, 20 years, you know, like you might be enemies, but you still, you know, you still kind of talk, you might, you know, whatever, like you, you start to build some type of relationship and especially people who have clearly demonstrated that they cannot be broken. Like you start to build a respect for each other. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what happened. You know, like the state kind of 
the state kind of created the the circumstances that even made this possible and and the and the one thing that the you know enemy or no enemy the one thing you can agree on is we all need to get the fuck up out of here mm-hmm. right we need to get out of these shoe units and you know get onto at least if we can't be released from prison you know if you're a lifer without if you're lwap we call it life without parole mm-hmm. at least uh, you know get me on a yard where i could have like normal human contact and maybe get some kitty and you know eat better food whatever you know see my family god forbid you know um so that's kind of like an issue that they could all rally around you know and and uh and um uh one of the uh, inmates who kind of like was the first to have this epiphany and and convince some of the other factions and leaders you know to that they need to like you know that they need to form like voltron basically right um started this lawsuit um, it was really just a, you know, a prisoner lawsuit, you know, where the prisoner was acting as, as his own lawyer. And, you know, and so they, they started it themselves, but um, the Center for Constitutional Rights and um, um, some law professors um, picked it up and, and, and fought it, you know, through the courts. And eventually, you know, CDCR really tried, I tell kind of the details in the book, but they really tried, did everything they could to try and avoid it. Um, but ultimately, they were going. They they could see the writing on the wall. They were going to lose the lawsuit, um, and so they settled. And the settlement was essentially to abolish indeterminate shoe terms. So now the maximum someone can get in for a shoe term is five years, um, and most shoe terms are more like a year. You know, even for really bad things, maybe two years at at most. Um, so whereas before, and that's like you know for whacking somebody, you know stabbing somebody or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But even if you kill somebody. The worst you can get is five years. In the old days, some rat piece of shit on the yard could just tell the, you know, tell the cops, oh, that dude's, you know, that dude's got the yabbies for the yard. That dude's the shot caller for, you know, whatever. And that in itself, or they didn't even have to have a CI. They could just make that shit up themselves. We think you're the leader and, you know, whatever. Boom, validated gang member. You go to the shoe forever, right? Um, And so all these guys um and you know had this lawsuit and and it it, it worked you know like the the solitary confinement regime was legally dissolved right as part of a a a settlement that came out of this lawsuit Um, and as a result of that um these these gentlemen who had been decades in in solitary confinement extreme isolation were being released onto the yards for the first time Right. And CDCR's story had always been that these are the baddest of the bad and the worst of the worst. And if they're given access to other prisoners, they're just going to start killing people and, you know, so on and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, bloodbath and blah, blah, blah. The CDCR like would openly, you know, describe them as terrorists and, you know, basically like do their best to demonize them. Mm-hmm. And what's happened since since all these shot callers have been released onto general population yards. Where's the bloodbath, right? It never happened. Wow. There's really only two incidents where people who had been um, released from solitary confinement were involved in, in murders. Um, and, and, um, and neither one of those resulted in a breakdown in the, you know, the agreement that had been formed between the different factions. Wow. So, you know, as part of this um, effort, you know, what, one of the things that came out of this effort to um, to beat the the solitary confinement regime um, was what what was called what's called the agreement to end hostilities, which is that the leaders of the principal racialized gang factions 
in, in California prisons have agreed to squash all their beef. And not just to squash their beef, but have created a protocol for, um, for addressing conflicts when they do arise. This is inevitable in prison, you know, somebody steps on your shoe or, you know, someone hocks a loogie up in the wind and it lands on somebody <laughs> else or whatever, you know, or maybe something, somebody really did do something, steal something from somebody or disrespect or whatever, right? Yeah. So the, the protocol is basically that like, you know, if something happens, both sides need to, you know, exhaust every opportunity to negotiate before, you know, violence crosses racial lines, right? And that if, if one side or the other is in the wrong, then they got to regulate, you know, if, if your guy was, if your guy fucked up, you know, he needs to get regulated, right? And so um, that's, that's pretty much held since, you know, it's been the agreement intent hostilities was first, um, uh, you know, published, they wrote this whole big, I have it in my, in my dissertation, um, they wrote this, you know, manifesto, and that one came out, I think it was in 2012. So it's been eight years now. Um, this is this is more or less held. It's um it's truly historic what yeah what they did. Time. It's uh and it's a shame that people um don't know about it. <laughs> like I mean who's gonna who how's the average individual people in the public don't know about it? Right? Yeah, how's the average individual, the mainstream news or media is not gonna <clears throat> portray these stories of these hardened criminals uniting in prison, right? They don't want that type of that ain't what you're gonna see on National Geographic or the History Channel, that's for sure, right? No, no. What are you no. gonna see on National Geographic and the History Channel is, you know, Gang members and killers and all this nonsense, right? Violence. Like, really, death. what's happened is that what what happened when they released? You know what happened? Did were did these people like you know you know go Charles Bronson and start killing people? No, no. these people are actually the ones that are squashing beefs that are that are mitigating violence that are you know you know like these are people that are bringing peace to the prison, and as I talk about in the book, also to the streets. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, they're not the they're not you know they're not you know wanton killers and I mean, granted, like there is some you know these many of these people have been convicted of murder you know like it's not that I'm saying that there's no violence, mm, but the violence that that occurs within and between gangs, um, you know, oftentimes is violence that that is employed to regulate you know. Um, in a wider sense, mm. right? If if somebody dis if somebody creates a situation that can pre that can that can cause a wider conflict, well, then that dude needs to get regulated. And you know, the prison you know statistics might record that person getting stabbed or whatever. You know what I mean? But that that person getting regulated may have averted a race Worse. riot where you know dozens of people would have been seriously injured. Yeah. Right? So. So it's kind of like counterintuitive, like violence actually, you know, l controlled violence, you know, in a way mitigates uncontrolled violence. I actually make this argument in a, uh, uh, an article that's um, coming out in an academic journal called Critical Criminology, wow. um, I think in the spring. Um, you t it's, uh, that brings me up uh, another story you tell of... Um a gang member um, in the park because, okay, let me back up a little bit. So this truce essentially um, made its way down to the streets as well. And uh, I believe it was 2019. Um, Not completely, but. 
The, you want me to tell, give like a little what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, give a yeah. Little narrative. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, so you know, as 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 we mentioned, there's there's a lot of interracial beef between Southsiders and Crips and Bloods in different parts of the city. There's a lot of different gangs that have beef across racial lines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the agreement to end hostilities applies to prison. It doesn't necessarily apply to the streets. Okay. Right. Um, however, it's it's slowly kind of percolating into the streets, you know, in individual cases. Now, you know, on the streets, it's a lot easier to control what people do in prison because they can't go nowhere. And if somebody does something they shouldn't do, they can be held accountable pretty easily. Yeah, right then <laughs> right? and there. Um, but on the streets, you know, gangs, you know, like shit, a lot of gangs, like, it's like herding cats, like I said before, you know, like it's hard to get, you know, it's hard. Discipline is hard to achieve on the streets, you know? Um, and so it's, you know, squashing beefs between different gangs, be they, you know, within race or, or across racial lines um, is difficult, is a difficult thing to accomplish. Right. And there's really very few people who have the status and the respect within their own neighborhood, much less, you know, with, among their rivals to be able to even be in a position to negotiate mm-hmm. a truth in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and so when these, um, when these shot callers, when these, you know, people um, hit, were being released from the shoe program, uh, some of them like looked at what was happening on the streets, you know, and like, wow, like our, you know, the gang that like, that I grew up in, like has beef with this other gang that I grew up with. Like the, you know, and, and the one in particular I'm talking about um, is uh, Florence and East Coast, East Coast Crips is a interracial conflict that started in, in the late 90s and in, in 99 and ran for 20 years. You know, dozens of at least dozens of people have been killed over this beef. Right. And so um, a, a certain gentleman uh, was released from the shoe and decided, you know what, like we need to dead this. Like, this is not in anybody's interest. Like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're doing the devil's work here, you know, fighting each other. This needs to end. And so he reached out to the other side, like, yo, can we, you know, can we squash this? And then, and the right people were able to make contact with each other. Um, and, and, and basically negotiate uh, a cessation of hostilities, you know, a, a truce. Um, and, and, and to, and more important to be able to sell it and to enforce the discipline necessary to make it, you know, stick Mm -hmm. within each of their different communities, Mm -hmm. you know? So that beef got squashed in, in fall of nine of 2019, right? So over a year ago now, um, Florence and East coast, you know, met face to face, um, and, and, and deaded it, you know, like, that's a big thing. This is, this is the biggest, the biggest South side neighborhood and the biggest crit neighborhood in the whole County, right. That had this, you know, I mean, ruthless, you know, blood feud going for decades and they were able to sit down and be like, you know what, like we need to put an end to this. Not that there wasn't pushback, you know, like from within, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of people got killed over this, you know, people's friends and family and, you know, brothers and, you know, all kind of, you know, like, you know, when you suffer those kind of losses, you take those kind of losses like that, you know, that, that grief runs deep, you know, it's not an easy thing to do, you know, but they, they managed, you know, to, 
you know, cajole and compel, you know, their homeboys on both sides and to convince and, you know, and like even the people that were kind of against it at first, you know, now that it's been running, you know, like they're, they're sitting back like, man, now I can shit, I could kick it in the hood and I'll have to look over my back every goddamn day. And like, every time I see, you know, uh, you know, some black dudes or some bald headed ass cholos, like drive by in a car. I don't got to like break myself. Like thinking these fools are about to let off on me. I guess, don't we want our kids to grow up like where they could play in the street? We don't have to worry about them getting fucking lit up like by accident. And, you know, like who doesn't want to like, you know, live a better life like that. You know, yeah. so now that it's now that it's taken root, now that it's taken hold, like this is a positive thing, you know, but that's not what law enforcement, you know, that's not the narrative that law enforcement wants us to believe about gang members. You know, mm -hmm. that's not the narrative that the media wants us to believe about gang members. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, but that's the reality, yeah. right? Gang members may, you know, may do some horrible things and, you know, gang, there's no gang members kill, kill each other, you know, but gang members are the ones are the only ones who are capable of putting that to an end themselves. Right. And the only way that's going to happen is for them to have that epiphany that we're talking about to realize like, damn, we, you know, we getting played here, you know, we, we doing the devil's work for him. You know, we're, we went down the rabbit hole and like, we need to like stop and back up and, you know, go and move in a different direction. You know, is this same type of truce or is there an effort to make these same types of truce nationwide? Or is this something that's unique to Los Angeles and the California state prison system? Um, well, you know, uh, gang politics is, is regional. Right. So like our politics here in California and in Los Angeles, you know, uh, don't have much, don't have anything to do with what's going on in Chicago or New York or somewhere like that. Right. So um, certainly that's my hope that, you know, other and, and that's, you know, part of the reason I wrote this book, too, is, you know, I, this isn't just for people in L.A. or people in California like this can apply not just around the, in the country, but maybe around the world, you know, wherever you find you know, um, sectarian conflict, which is almost always over, you know, across boundaries of groupist identities, mm -hmm. whether they be ethnic or racial or religious or gang or whatever, right? You know, like, you know, kind of to try and trigger that epiphany, like, damn, you know, like, why are we fighting each other? Like, we're, we're in the same position in the social structure, right? Like, we, we should be fighting, you know, we're fighting horizontally, we need to be fighting vertically. You know, like actually the last um, the last two sentences of the book, which I don't know if the publisher is going to let me include them or not. <laughs> They're brilliant, by the, <laughs> the way, brother. The last two sentences of the book should be. <laughs> we'll see if they let me publish it. Incredibly um, powerful, by the way. I didn't write this book to convince gang members to put their guns down. I wrote this book to convince gang members they're pointing their guns in the wrong direction. Yeah, that shit gave me goosebumps. It made, made my hair stand up when I read it because... It just, uh, you're able to put and sort of lead an argument for or against gangsters. And you kind of summed it up in, in two sentences. And uh, with people who are familiar with gangs and gang violence and gang members, those two, those last two sentences really hit home. They really hit a nerve to, to, 
you just shed so much light on all the mistargeted hate <laughs> that's going on and it, it, you yeah. literally just summed it up in two sentences it, it, it is it was brilliant it was it was, it was brilliant um, it's you know like i had this epiphany in my own life which like i have a tremendous amount of regret like i'm not only regret being who i am and you know being where i'm from and what i've done like i regret that like damn like i spent 20 years of my life fighting people my enemies who are just more or less like me, you know, like we're all, we all in the same boat, you know, like we, we all, you know, like over what, you know, and for what, like, what did we gain out of that? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, w I wish I had spent 20 years of my life, you know, hunting down, you know, billionaires instead of hunting down rival gang members, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And, and if you think about it, that's why, you know, the race concept and, and sectarian conflict Keeps in general on. exists. Because if there wasn't sectarian conflict, if people weren't fighting each other across racial boundaries and gang lines and religious, you know, um, you know, all, you know, all around the world, you see this, you know, these sectarian conflicts. Mm -hmm. If, if working class people weren't fighting each other, if they weren't hunting for each other, who would they be hunting? Right. And that's the whole reason sectarian conflict exists is to keep people at each other's throats instead of looking up the, the social stratification hierarchy for target. Divide, divide and conquer, like the title right? of your book, Divide and Conquer. Um, unfortunately, um, 2020 has been playing out and uh, hasn't been such good news. Right. It seems like <laughs> there's a v apparent effort on the state to put an end to these uh, alliances that are going on. And it appears very much so that it's a direct effort, once again, on behalf of the state, implementing different types of systems to keep these the self-regulating racial divide in place like you're talking about. Can you, can you say a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, you know, um, and this is like really another of these issues, you know, reform versus revolution, right? like you're the reformists, right? Is the, is the government, you know, uh, going to help the situation or does the government hurt the situation, right? Should we be, and this is like really what academics typically do. You know, they write books and the purpose of their book is to sell some kind of policy position, you know, so that policymakers can reform the system and we'll all live happily ever after. Which, right? which never happens. That never happens. You know, like in the rare, rare cases that people's, you know, the academics policy recommendations are actually implemented, which rarely, rarely happens, you know, they're just as easily dismantled by the following administration. You know, like I've watched all my mentors spend their whole life trying to get these reforms passed. And most of them are never get passed. And the ones that do end up getting dismantled, you know, as soon as, you know, whoever changes office. So, you know, I don't want to spend my life, you know, convincing people, you know, trying to convince the people who've, who've created the circumstances that we're struggling with in the first place. They shouldn't do that. Like that's a, you know, that's a futile effort in my opinion. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you know, what, what should we be doing is, is encouraging resistance to the system, right? And, 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 you know, like we, we can't look to the state as our solution, you know, like we're gonna, the only, like I said, the only people that can end this are gang members themselves, right? The state isn't gonna come in 
well, you know, even well-meaning liberals, you know, are not going to come here and sing Kubaya and, you know, get everybody together. Can't we just all get along like that? It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Right. Mm. And, and the state, is not a vehicle to improve our lives. The state is a is the vehicle of our of our subordination, you know. And the state continues to act in that way, uh, which is, I think, what you were alluding to. You know, every time gang members try and squash their beef and create, you know, alliances and 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 structure their interactions and you know, basically to mitigate violence, what's the state's response? They hit them with a whole bunch of conspiracy charges time and again. All oh, this happens. I can give you so many examples. I'll give you one um, <clears throat> from a few years ago. There was an attempt to um, to um, to form a truce among gangs in Northeast LA. Okay. Um, uh, in the you know like in in the Atwater area and uh, Highland Park and Cypress and Sedano, like the Northeast, right? Sorry, I'm All from, these man. different El Sereno, South sorry. Sider gangs. Sorry, I grew up in yeah. El Sereno. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, so, yep, yep. so, you know, all these different neighborhoods, all these different areas, there was this effort um, that came from the prisons to try and, you know, to tell everybody like, look, you know, no more, all this beef and all you guys shooting each other, that, that needs to end. No more shooting each other, right? No more, you know, they tried to, uh, they, which I think is a good thing. They tried to structure the drug trade so there wouldn't be conflicts over the drug trade, mm -hmm. um, you know, and just basically like make everything run smoothly to avoid conflict and violence, right? And so what happened? All the people who organized it and shit, a whole bunch of other people that didn't even know anything about it, that just happened to be from the neighborhood, all got hit with this big RICO case, right? And they charged, I don't know how many, I forgot how many people got charged in that case. I don't know, 50 or 100 people got charged in this RICO case. And, you know, there there's all this surveillance and all this stuff, right? And if you read the indictment, it's ridiculous the only act of violence in, in alleged in the whole indictment, mm -hmm. the victim is named as a co-conspirator. He's a defendant in, in the case. <laughs> so, some dude that was, you know, wanted to do is, you know, they told him, you know, you need to slow your roll. And he told, you know, he probably told them, you know, nah, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Fuck y'all. Right. <laughs> and what happened? Somebody came and popped him in the stomach. Fuck. You know, not didn't, didn't try to kill him. Just put around in his stomach, teach him a lesson, you know? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he learned his lesson and, and got down with the program. And they charge him with a conspiracy too. <laughs> you know, it's so ridiculous. Jesus. You can't make this up. You know, like no. <laughs> where is all the violence? You know, you 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 they push in all these RICO, you know, federal government's pushing all these RICO cases under the theory that, you know, that there's all this violence that gangs are committing. And in years of surveillance, you can't document one act of violence, like where the you know, the only act of violence that you document is one of the gang members themselves, you know, one, one of the co-conspirators themselves is the victim. It's, it's laughable, you yeah. know? And why, why is it so difficult for them to establish violent acts? Because the gang members themselves are the ones that are squashing it. That's the whole point, right? And shouldn't the federal government, like these guys should be getting Nobel Peace Prizes and instead they're getting RICO cases, yeah. right? You see this time and time again, you know? It's unfortunate that um, the federal government doesn't see that as an opportunity and see, hey, these folks are deciding to do that on the street. So let's put plug in some resources and here. Let's put our tax dollars to work. And now let's start to put implement these policies to actually create change, because clearly it's starting 
from the inside, but nope, <laughs> that's not what's going on. They're like, fuck this. We got to divide y'all further. We got to put more y'all in jail so that you guys stop this peace bullshit. We got to we... find the ones that are making peace and get rid of them. Yeah. Which <laughs> like, that's basically the federal government's policy. So right? like now, who, who's the real could... gangsters there? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, but, um, you know, it, they're trying to keep it, you know, like if, if, if gang members, you know, put all their differences aside and, and form like Voltron, like there ain't no bigger threat to, to the ruling classes than that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. They, you know, in the, in the 60s during the civil rights movement, they tried to do that. Right. That's the that's the real rainbow coalition. Right. That Fred Hampton was trying to, to do in Chicago that Bunchy Carter um, accomplished here in L.A getting people from rival gangs to put their differences aside and to all come together and form like Voltron, right? In solidarity. And what happened? What happened to Bunchy Carter? What happened to Fred Hampton? They were assassinated in FBI COINTELPRO operations. That's, that's in the book too, right? We have that documented. We, especially the Hampton, you know, the Hampton assassination is, we have, that's undeniably was an FBI assassination, you know, operation. And the, the, the Bunchy Carter assassination, we don't have uh, uh, the, the same level of documentation we do for the Hampton assassination, but we have pretty strong evidence that the FBI was directly involved in, including uh, an FBI agent who was on the un- assigned to the unit that, that did that, who after he retired became a whistleblower and wrote a book and has given a bunch of interviews um, basically exposing what the FBI did during that time. It's so this is crazy. Like, you, uh, why did why was Fred Hampton assassinated? Why was Bunchy Carter assassinated? Because they were creating the solidarity that's a threat to the ruling classes. <clears throat> it's uh it's still crazy that uh something like COINTELPRO, some folks still label a conspiracy theory when there's clearly historical documentation and evidence that you could get from the Freedom of Information Act. There's a shit ton of stuff on Google that the average well, individual really could, the could reason we, we actually wouldn't know anything about COINTELPRO. We would have never had any proof that COINTELPRO ever existed. The reason we do that we do is not because of FOIA requests. You know, good luck, you know, trying to get a FOIA request out of the FBI on current COINTELPRO operations, mm. right? Um, the reason we know about that is because some anti-war activists <clears throat> broke into a federal bu- uh, building with the intention of burning draft cards. Oh, wow. And they noticed, hey, wait, the FBI office is open, open right here. Let's go look through their files and see what we can find. Whoa. And what did they find in the FBI files? They found the whole COINTELPRO file with all that information about the Hampton assassination it, and they took it and then they disseminated it through the press. Wow. So that's how we know that COINTELPRO even existed in the first place. If those people hadn't stolen those, do- those, those files, we would, to this day, we wouldn't have proof that COINTELPRO ever existed, right? So, you know, for sure, I mean, of course, we're in the digital age, so there ain't no documents to be stolen, right? <laughs> Good luck cracking the FBI. Maybe Russia could crack the FBI's computers <laughs> and get their COINTEL profiles and and, and 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 publish them on RT Press or whatever. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, like we ain't gonna get that that type of evidence, you know, today. And and we don't have that type of evidence for most of the you know COINTEL pro activity that the FBI has engaged in. But through one way or another, we know about a lot of it. You know, it's not just the Black Panthers that suffered this. The American Indian Movement. The Puerto Rican Liberation Movement, you know, have all been subject to COINTELPRO, you know, um, 
uh, an FBI asset, married one of the principal activists in the Puerto Rican liberation movement. That's how deep cover these people are. Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is not, this has not gone away. The FBI is, oh, we did that in the past, but oh, we changed. No, nah, you know, <laughs> this goes on today. There are people, in my opinion, there is not an activist organization, you know, you know, there's nothing out there is not infiltrated. Mm -hmm. Anything that exists that could potentially be a threat to the ruling classes, it's the FBI's job to infiltrate that and to figure out what they're doing and not just to like report on it and to stop you know, terrorism, whatever, but to steer it in the direction that they want it to go, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. That's what happened during the civil rights movement. And believe me, that's what's happening today, too. Of course, of course, to a whole, whole different levels now with, uh, with what's going on. Um, you know, this is, uh, in, in diving just a little bit into your book, it makes me want to just dive so much deeper and just really do what I can to inform people about your book so that people get this knowledge and people really learn how we're being played because uh, people are so oblivious to it because we're essentially comfortable in our everyday lives. But um, that's not the case. It's just an illusion. And uh, I really want to thank you for, for coming on here. Um, you know, I feel like we could have made this part one, part two, and part three, and part four, and diving into, like, you know, the race part of it alone, and then diving into an identity part of it alone, and then diving into, like, a violence part of it alone. Like, each one of those could totally be its own part. So I really want to thank you for coming on here and sort of doing your best to put you know all your research which is what over a decade of research into just a quick you know hour and a half two hour conversation so i really want to thank you for for coming on and talking to me man i appreciate it thanks for having me and i'm glad to see you're uh, headed in the right direction yourself after graduation <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you so yeah. i i asked, like to see you applying for a doctoral program in the near future <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i have it in me man i don't know i don't know we'll see i'm gonna i want to see how this podcast goes first um uh, yeah, I mentioned this to you over the phone. I, c I haven't been able to write lately. That's why I, I started a podcast. It's just been a lot easier for me to talk than, than it has to write. But every every time I have a guest on, I like to ask them two questions. Uh, the last two questions I call it. It's just to, to get their opinion or get to your perspective. And you're obviously a very brilliant individual. And you have a lot of great things to say. So I'm kind of excited for, for your answer for this. But... Uh, my first question will be, um, you know, given that this is Anto for the homies, I want to ask the anthropology-based question. Where do you think we are headed next in our evolution? Like, what do you think is the next phase of human beings? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, <laughs> you know, and, you know, uh, revolutionaries have been predicting this for the last 150 years, and I, I'm confident it will happen. I don't know if it will happen within my lifetime, but you know, cap all, all things come to an end and so will capitalism. Um, now, whether capitalism renders the, pla the planet uninhabitable and that's how it ends or whether it ends, you know, by an uprising of, you know, of, of the peasants of us, you know, um, remains to be seen, but you know, our system is not sustainable. And, and we know that, that it's, for sure, capitalism is not going to continue indefinitely. Um, you know, probably, you know, I'd be surprised if it lasts even a, a couple of few hundred years more. You know, it's like we're going through that, you know, cycle 
you know, ancient Rome took, you know, over a thousand years, you know, like, but we're on, we're on fast forward, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Super we're going all through forward. all these stages, you know, <laughs> within generations, you know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, this ain't going to last too much longer. And, you know, at, at least not in the grand, maybe, maybe longer in the scale of our lives, but not in, in the grand scale of time. Um, capitalism will have been a blip in human existence. And the only thing is, you know, what will human existence look like after that? And, and I hope, that we will eventually, you know, realize, you know, come to this epiphany as a species, you know, that, that, you know, we need to put an end to this and create a, a, a truly free, you know, you know, uh, uh, the three principles of anarchism, liberty, equality, and solidarity, you know, a true, you know, um, free society, free society for all people where we all contribute and we all you know, watch out for one another. The way human beings lived for millennia before, um, you know, authority and 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 uh, domination and ultimately capitalism became a part of the human existence. Wow, wow, that's deep. So it's cool because in 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 your mind, your opinion, you know, we're gonna come full circle because the the, the capitalist is gonna eat it. So, yeah. The capitalist machine is gonna eat itself, and we're gonna force. It's going to force us to come full circle. It kind of yeah. blows my mind that um, the idea of uh, going to Mars is a better idea than saving our own planet <laughs> and saving, like, I, I just don't, I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. Like, why can't we just focus on everything here and keeping this beautiful planet operating good and keeping all, everyone here happy? Like, why is it already oh, let's just go to Mars, fuck it, yeah, like like it's something we could do easily, right? Like it, that I'll just tell you why Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, because he knows that's the one place we can't get his ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's safe on Mars. <laughs> if we get Go there. ahead, rocket ship your ass over to Mars and take the rest of the billionaires with you. Because <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no future there. for you here on planet Earth, believe me. Um, my last question, and um, I try to leave on on a positive note. You know, a lot of folks have been giving a lot of great positive answers um, to to this question, um, but I want to get an honest answer. So, if if you decide no, I fucking hate that, then that's cool too. But what's your favorite thing about people? What's your favorite thing about human beings? I don't know. That's a metaphysical question <laughs> um, <laughs> however you want to answer best rather like literally like i think you know like a like i was saying like i think people's fundamental this is you know fundamental part of anarchist frameworks which is that we believe that um that people are fundamentally that solidarity is a fundamental part of human existence and that our current society of division is really an anomaly in the human experience um and uh, an unnatural anomaly you know, that, that really human nature is human beings living in communities, cooperative communities where everybody contributes and everybody's, you know, more or less on an equal footing. Um, and, you know, uh, and, and, and we watch out for each other. Like that's, that's, that is human nature, violence, conflict, division, identity. These things are not human nature. They're relatively recent inventions in human history. Um, and you and and you really you see that come out, you know, at times when people are really struggling, you know, when there's when we really face a catastrophe, you see that that inherent, you know, what we call mutual aid, you know, rise to the surface when there's an earthquake, when there's, you know, Hurricane Katrina and, 
you know, whatever else, you know, like whatever there's a, a, a calamity, people start, you know, you know, you see the best come out in people, people start looking out for each other because that's, that's what's natural for human beings, right? Is, is for us to, to, to take care of each other, you know, to work together cooperatively, um, not to dominate, you know, each other and to exploit each other and to, you know, uh, you know, hurt each other, you know, violently, like that's not a part of the, the, the human that should not be a part of the human existence. Right. And I, and I, I really believe in, in, you know, that that's our, 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 our fundamental nature as human beings. And the only reason we're not living like that is because of all of these things, you know, actively manipulating and dividing us, you know, wow. as soon as that, you know, when we get rid of that, like our natural solidarity is just gonna, you know, is gonna, is gonna shine through, you know, there's this, um, I don't know how much you know about the Spanish revolution, the so-called Spanish civil war. Um, but not much during the Spanish <laughs> civil war, a third of about a third of the country was, um, liberated by, um, by anarchists, um, who, who, um, established a, a free society communes. Um, and, and they had this saying that if just one, if just one generation of people would grow up in a society that would be born into and grow up in a society that's truly free, we could never go back to domination and exploitation. They would never allow themselves to, to go back to being dominated and, and, and exploited, right? Wow. The only reason we accept and we accept, uh, you know, exploitation into our lives and we, you know, um, we don't just accept, but we embrace division, right? Is, is because that's all we know. That's the society that we grew up in. So we think that it's natural. It's not right. It makes me think. That's it, that's incredibly sad, dude. That's so beautifully put. It and I. It makes me think of a meme that I recently saw, and the meme. Um, it was a picture of uh, the lion. It was two different pictures of a lion, and the picture on the left, the lion was in a cage, and the picture on the right, the right, the lion was in an open savanna, and the caption read something like, "One of these lions um, has full health care, full medical." hundred percent safety is taken care of and the other one is free which one would you be and it was sort of alluding to like the lion in the cage is full health care is full medical full dental great benefits stable life blah 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 blah. and the lion outside of the cage doesn't have any of that and it's, it's really made me realize like can there be other ways and what is what is the other way why are the two options mutually exclusive we should be in, in, you know, both, we, we can have both at the same time, right? We can, we can have personal freedom, but at the same time have the responsibility to one another to contribute to our common existence and our common, you know, survival and, and, and for all of us to equally share in the bounty of our labor, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is possible. It's, it's not a pipe dream. Right. Reform is a pipe dream. <laughs> say Revolution that, is inevitable. Say, um, can right? you Whether we see it in our lifetimes or not, is going to happen. Yeah. Um, can you tell us the name of your book again, please? And um, when it's going to come out or when you hope it's going to come out? Um, so the title, the tentative title, I don't know if the publisher will make me change it, but the title I want for the book is 
uh, divide and conquer, uh, race, gangs, identity, and conflict. Um, and the publisher is Temple University Press. That's great. Yeah. When uh, when it's oh, ready, it should come out. Um, it should it should come out in, maybe in fall of 2021 or spring of 2022. Cool. Cool. So little, little ways out, but when it's ready, I'm definitely going to uh, pump the book as much as I can, man. I'm definitely going to mm. tell as many people as I can about it. And I'll be sure to put up a post on Anto Fredomi's letting people know that the book is out. Cool. cool. Um, and I'm on, I, do, I actually just got on Twitter cause I got banned off Facebook <laughs> yeah. for being racist against Americans. <laughs> reverse. I got banned from Facebook for reverse racism. Wow. Um, uh, um, and my Twitter handle is, I think you're supposed to do this in an interview, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> is, if you um, want, if you want. Is uh, at Wero Profe, uh, H U E R O. P-R-O-F-E. <laughs> well, the, the vernacular spelling. <laughs> well, well, profe. I, I like that. I like well, that. Profe, yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show, man. And uh, you know what? The more I dive into your book, yeah. I hope we could do this again. If you're open to it, um, I would love to do this again. Yeah, for sure. After the book comes out and a whole bunch of people get real angry about the shit I said in it, then you can have me back to <laughs> <laughs> defend yourself or rebuttal. Uh, to fire back. Yeah. The, the official rebuttal. Hell yeah, I would love that. Oh, there are going to be a lot of people real angry about, <laughs> about a lot of things I say in that book. <laughs> it's all good. The right people are going to be angry. <laughs> yeah. They know what they know. what's a threat to them. That's for sure. Yeah, well, if people are mad, if you piss people off, that means you must have done something right, right? If you piss some people <laughs> right, off. Yeah. Like, uh, 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 what's his name? Um, What's that character that uh, Sasha Cohen has? The, the, the hip hop character, uh, not the hip hop. Ali one. G. Ali G. Yeah, Ali G. He said, uh, <laughs> one of those those things that uh, he said. It's the one thing that video games taught me. It's that if I encountering enemies, I'm heading in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> that's a classic. That's a classic line by Ali G. I never heard that one. I never heard that. Yeah, one. <laughs> they had me dying when I heard that. But hey, that's true. You know, like. You know, I, I, ain't, I ain't doing this. I didn't pick this career to make friends, that's for sure. Yeah, wow. And that's admirable. I'm trying to, trying to shake the tree, and, you know. That's admirable. I would say you're, you're doing a great job, man. <laughs> so you're definitely shaking the tree. Uh, thank you very much for, for being here, Robert. And um, thanks for listening, folks. Tune in for the next episode. Thank you very much. What's up, folks? I really hope you enjoyed that episode because I know I did. If you guys liked what you heard, please, please, please don't forget to hit subscribe. Leave me re a review. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Was it just okay? Let me know. And if you could please tell five of your friends about Anto for the homies, that would be great. You guys will help me get the word out about this podcast and then I could keep doing some amazing episodes for y'all. So thanks so much for tuning in, folks. Tune in for the next episode. Peace, everybody.